Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the House of the Hinky Built podcast. As always, I am your host, Jackson Frank, and per usual, I'm hosting this on Spotify Green Room. It is a beautiful Tuesday morning in Portland, Oregon. The sun is out. There are no clouds in the sky. Uh, and today, the plan is to answer some Sixers questions. I fielded uh, some questions on Twitter from many of you. Uh, a lot of good questions. I opened it up to general NBA in case I didn't get enough Sixer-centric stuff, but I did, so props to all of you. Thank you. Um, so I'm just going to answer those questions. If anyone joins the room and wants to contribute to the discussion at hand, you can either uh, hop on stage, you can uh, you can, uh, you can pose a question or a comment in the discussion. I'll try to address it. Um, I want to make this pretty interactive today. Um, of course, this is going to be a, a podcast if you are in and out or you come late and you want to listen to the whole thing, you can do that wherever you get your podcasts. Um, please review and subscribe. Uh, would mean a ton to me. Helps me out too. Make sure people can see more, more people can see my podcast. But excited to do, do this today. Um, every day gets us closer to NBA and Sixers basketball. Um, we're kind of in the, the drudges of the offseason, but uh, excited to talk some Sixers and answer the questions that all of you provided for me. So thank you. Um, and again, if you want to interact, either hop on stage about a certain topic or post a comment or question in the discussion tab, by all means, feel free to do so. Um, but our first question today, um, these are kind of uh, linked together. Uh, it's a couple of questions that I'm going to answer in one kind of one uh, segment, I guess. The first comes from at young slim air. I apologize if I botched that on Twitter. Uh, what is Shake's role if Max continues to improve? Uh, the similar question comes from Mark Schindler at M Schindler MBA on Twitter. Um, Mark asked, what are your expectations for Shake Milton this season? Do you believe in a slight bump in offensive efficiency and finding some consistency in his shot? Feel like internal development from him could be great for Philly. Um, so these are pretty similar questions because I do think the expectations for Shake and some growth could be tied to what we see from Tyrese Maxey. Um, but I'll answer the first part of this. I think Shake's role will be will be pretty tenuous to open the season. Honestly, when I when I break down what probably the optimal rota- optimal rotation is with the current guys intact, which includes Ben Simmons for now, um, to me it looks like the same starting five as last year: Ben, Seth, Danny, Tobias, Joel, and then my next five um, would be Maxi, Matisse, Furkan, Niang, and Andre Drummond. Um, the other kind of guys that maybe could crack the rotation uh, if things break right could be Isaiah Joe or Shake. I do think Shake will get an opportunity. At times, um, Doc, I think, showed some pretty significant fluidity in his bench rotations last year. I mean, to start the year, Max was ahead of Matisse, and obviously Matisse, you know, jumped him at one point. Max was out of the rotation and then made it back in to be a key player in, in game six of that of that series against the Hawks. Um, but I think when you're looking at kind of how to shake, you know, regain maybe the form he had midway through the year where he was a key rotation guard or scorer off the bench. It's about becoming a better off-ball player. Um, he had such a huge on-ball burden in some of those bench lineups um, that I think once he tried to play minutes with Maxi or starters, he wasn't really accustomed to being an off-ball guy. And so that meant a lot of times where the ball would swing his way and he would be slow to act. He wouldn't take a spot up three or he would slowly drive, try to get to the mid-range. So improving that part of his game would be huge. Um, you know, he wasn't a good shooter last year from three. Um, he was very good the year before. He was good in college. Um, on for his career through three years, I think he's at about, uh, pulling it up here, 
about 37%. So he's only 35% last year, but I think if you can get back to 37, 38, 39% um, with a little quicker trigger from three, that would help too. Um, but I think, you know, beyond that, you, you, because with, with Doc, you're always going to have some lineups where it's, it's heavy with bench guys. And in that sense, shakes, shot creation is important. Um, so I think if you want to maintain some of the stuff you saw early in the year from shake, it's about, you know, finding ways to counter what defenses did to slow him, which was throw bigger wings on him. Um, early in the year, he was really exploiting a lot of, you know, mismatches with his, with his size in terms of his actual frame as a six, five guy who can, could get to his spots. Um, but about a month, month and a half into the year, teams realized, okay, shakes a pretty big, you know, part of what the six would do offensively with, with those bench units. Let's throw a bigger wing on him exploit his lack of handle and burst and strength um, and get rid of the size advantage. And then he really struggles to get to his spot. So finding the counter to that, whether it's improving his handle, you know, maybe some more, you know, savvy with ball screens would help too. Um, improving his passing as well. Shake showed some pretty interesting passing reads at times last year, but they are far too inconsistent. Um, so I think that those are the ways that you kind of see him grow. Like if, if Shake is going to be a rotation guard for the next year, um, I think he's going to have to be, you know, a more willing off-ball player, not in terms of just like going off the ball, like playing off the ball, but when he actually does being precise and, or what's the word, being precise and prompt in decision-making and smart in it and proving his passing reads. So that's that's kind of answering both those questions together. Um, I hope it's clear, but my, my idea is that Sheik will get his chance at times, but I think the Sixers will be better off in terms of kind of their ceiling if Maxi is that lead shot creator off the bench, I just think he sh- he's shown more of what the Sixers need. They need the kind of that that pop, that oomph. And Shake is so methodical and calculated in what he does that I think it can be really tough to have that be what, what you want. I mean, you saw how key Maxi's just kind of uh, electricity was. I mean, just like in Game Six when they were really struggling to open this open the game against the Hawks, and Maxi came in and made some nice plays with just his relentless attacking and energy and and whatnot, and I just don't think Sheik provides that. But I do think they could play together um, you know, in some lineup. I like kind of the complementary nature of them. Um, but I, I think it's tough to expect that because they need Furkan's off-ball shooting uh, with some size. They need Matisse's defense as well, especially if they're going to be trading Ben Simmons. Um, you know, They're going to they're need, need that perimeter defense still. Um, of course, the offense needs to be better. That was their downfall. But um, – that's kind of what I, that's kind of how I view Shake's role next year. I think if he's going to be a legit rotation player, it's going to have to come on the backs of improved passing reads and decision making, and a much more willing off-ball player in terms of his approach in that in that regard. And, uh, and as Mark notes, if he does get back to maybe some of the levels of efficiency, somewhere between last year's efficiency, um, where he was forty-five percent from the field, thirty-five percent from three, um, his three-point weight rate was way down. Um, much worse on twos versus, you know, two years ago his breakout season when he was at 48% from, from the field, 43% from three uh, in his true shooting. Uh, two years ago was 61.7, last year 54.9. Um, I think you can see that shake. That's definitely a worth rotation player. But the one we saw last year, I just don't think offers more important skills than what Maxi could, assuming he takes a step forward. And I think it's reasonable to expect a step forward from Maxi because of because of the way we saw him grow in the season last year and kind of the skills that he provides. Um, but I, want, I do want to read kind of the discussion here quickly. Um, Rondo Capone says, so we believe Shake is going to the fall to the bottom of the rotation. I, I do think right now, yeah. Um, but as I said, Rondo, I, I think he, Doc is a guy who 
showed last year that he's pretty fluid in what he does with his rotation. So I think Shake will get his chances. I think he'll have more than enough time to maybe show some growth. Uh, and if he does, by all means, he'll have earned, earned a way, his way back. So uh, to open the year, I would not have Shake in my in my 10-man rotation. Um, but by no means do I think that means Shake is going to be buried the entire year. I think there'll be injuries. There'll be opportunities for him. And if he shows growth in the areas that I you know, uh, discussed, uh, I think he'll, he'll get a chance and he could be a really useful guard for them. Um, obviously, it doesn't mean like he has to grow in the ways that I identify, but I think those are kind of, from what I've seen, the important ways he could get back to where he was last year. Maybe not the torrid start of, of, kind of mid-January and whatnot, but um, somewhere between kind of the, the peaks and valleys of last year. I think the guy who's a, you know, maybe a 58, 59% true shooting guy, 57% rather than kind of the 54, nine um, is someone who's worthwhile, you know, with his size and shot creation and, and whatnot. So um, the Sixers are an interesting place uh, with their rotation. I, I wouldn't put shake in that top 10, but I don't think that means he's by any, by any stretch, you know, relegated to, to kind of that, that, uh, that developmental minutes guy, you know, for the, the, the Paul Reeds, the Ray John Tuckers, the uh, Isaiah Joe, mostly last year, I think he could be ahead of those guys. So that's where I stand on shake. I hope that answers both of your questions. Appreciate that. Um, shifting gears a little bit here. Um, Ted got the bread on Twitter asks, what do you think about a Tobias Harris for CJ McCollum swap? Uh, yeah, I think that's an interesting one. Obviously, McCollum has been pretty significantly linked to with the Sixers, um, largely through a Ben Simmons-centric deal. Um, but I understand the appeal of maybe a, a Tobias for CJ swap. I think they're roughly in similar tiers. I would favor CJ a little more as a player overall. Um, but the big argument, I think, in favor of CJ on this team would be the pull-up frequency from three. Um, he took a big step forward last year in his three-point rate. Um, it was up to, uh, looking at the numbers now, uh, it was at 47.5% of CJ's shots were threes last year, just 22.5% of Tobias's shots were threes. Um, but the big thing is the pull-up frequency from three. 30.5% pull-up frequency for CJ, 5.7 per game, per game hit 367 of them. Tobias, 6.4% pull-up three frequency. Only took about, he took a 0.9 per game, shot 30.5%, 30.5% on them. Um, and that's one of the things the Sixers have needed, right, is a premier base player who can get to that pull-up from three high-screen rolls. Um, and so, I, but at the same time, I don't think Tobias, I don't think CJ, CJ Tobias swap is the sort of deal that really elevates your ceiling much. Um, they both have issues in terms of getting to the rim, drawing fouls. Neither one draws many fouls or gets to the rim. A lot of their shots are pretty tough. They look cool when they go in because they're tough shot makers and takers, but um, you would be asking a lot for either one of those guys to be your top perimeter scorer um, because they're flawed creators. You saw that you saw the way that, that Tobias struggled in the second half of that, that Atlanta series. Um, and I think you'd see similar issues with, with CJ, you know, he's had some big playoff games and series. Um, you know, obviously the, his kind of his breakout against Memphis in 2015, I think. Um, the year before Aldridge left and Wesley Matthews tore his Achilles. Um, he was really good in that, that season. It was kind of the, 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 uh, the prelude to his most improved player campaign. Um, he had the, he had some really nice moments against Denver in 2019, but um, you look at his actual playoff numbers, the efficiency isn't super inspiring. Um, and he's been in a pretty solid spot in terms of like playing alongside a guy like Damian Lillard and for a pretty solid offensive coach in Terry Stotts. Um, one that I would say is decidedly better than what I've seen from the Sixers coaching staff in terms of creativity and deployment and all those things. So my my answer to this question 
uh, Ted would be that I think he that CJ makes the Sixers a better team. I don't know if he makes them meaningfully better. I would lean, I would strongly lean no on that answer. Um, but I'm not opposed to the idea of such a deal. But I don't know if CJ is the sort of guy that, that Daryl Morey would target. He likes to go for those. He likes to go for the analytically friendly guys, the guy who, produ- who can produce a bunch of easy shots, who can get to the rim, get to the foul line. Um, obviously, CJ's improvement from three in terms of kind of uh, his volume helps maybe alleviate some of those concerns. But CJ doesn't strike me as a huge Daryl Morey type of player offensively. Daryl loves to build around players who create a lot of easy shots. Um, in Houston, obviously, that was hard, whether it was the huge foul rate, producing open threes for others. In Philadelphia, that's Joel because he produces a ton of shots at the line and he gets a lot of guys open threes. Um, CJ is not really that guy. Um, and so I, I don't know if that's the sort of thing that is on uh, Maury's radar, but I think it could help them. But I don't know if it's really the, the degree of help they they need um, but to CJ's credit, I think the improvement from three does seem to be an internal mandate. Um, and he went up from about a 38% three point rate to almost 48% last year. Um, and I think, he, I think Michael Pina might've written a piece over at sports illustrated, um, at the start of the season, talking to CJ about that and CJ talking about how he wanted to improve his efficiency and take more efficient shots. So I think you could at least have hope if this was some, this hypothetical came to fruition, that it wasn't just like, oh, yeah, Damon, Damon Stotts and the coaching staff in Portland were the ones telling him to do this. It seemed to be more of an internal mandate. So um, to put a bow on this little segment, my answer is that, yeah, I think CJ makes them a little better, but not meaningfully. And so I don't – and he doesn't quite strike me as the sort of player Daryl pursues. And so I, I, I lean toward this not really being the sort of um, trade that, that would entice Daryl. Um, but CJ, I get it. I, I understand the allure there. Um, and the benefit is you would still have, you know, you'd actually have a legit pull-up guard to pair with Ben Simmons in this case, you know, assuming Ben is still in, the, in, in tow. Um, obviously, the issue becomes, like, if you trade for CJ, it, it, with Tobias, it makes it maybe tougher to also, down the line, maybe trade Ben for Dame if that becomes a, an option. So um, maybe not. Maybe that's me just thinking it's weird to trade, you know, one team to trade its second and third best players for the other team's first and second best players. But that's how I view things and appreciate the question because I do think it's an interesting uh, discussion. So much of this offseason for the Sixers has revolved around, are they going to trade Ben? Are they going to trade Ben? And I've talked at length a lot about it, but I think it's not – I don't think it's inconceivable that, that Tobias is, is someone that – the team is, you know, seeing what's out there. You know, I had Jake Fisher on about three weeks ago, and he said that he thinks they're probably at least gauging the market for, for Tobias, you know, they're not actively dealing him just because of all the ways he maybe doesn't embody what what Daryl looks for in a, a high-usage offensive player, you know, with the tough shot making, the lack of fouls, lack of getting to the rim, the lack of creation for others. So that's how I view that. But really good question, Ted. I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to um, opine on that. I think it's an interesting and worthwhile topic to uh, dive into. Give me just a minute here, though. I am going to take a sip of water, uh, and then I'll get into a couple other questions that I think are really interesting. Appreciate everyone who's uh, listening, and if you have any more comments or other questions that you'd like me to address, um, I'll do my best to uh, tackle those in the All right, we are back. I'm hydrated. Some nice, cool, refreshing water. Uh, out of my uh, makeshift hydro flask or my, I don't know, what the, I don't know exactly how to pronounce the company. This is not an ad, no sponsored content here for me. Um, even though I'm pretty sure this segment will play right after an ad. Anyhow, let's get back on track. 
a couple of similar questions here. Um, one from at HA0522739 and at Willie Law. Um, I hope those numbers are not anyone's social security number. Uh, I don't think it's enough of them, but anyhow, uh, they, the first person asked, we'll call them Ha. They say, what is the best way for the team to improve the season if a Ben Simmons trade can't get done? And Willie asks, uh, Ben aside, what leaps need to be made for the Sixers to have a championship-level roster? Um, so I think those questions are pretty closely tied, and I like them as well um, because it'll flow nicely into another question about, you know, um, if Ben Simmons is still on the team or things like that um, come regular season. But I think, you know, the the, te- the way for this team to improve, when I, when I talk about improvement, I'm, talking, I'm not talking marginal. I'm not saying – their net rating is, is three, a third of a point better than last year. That doesn't really mean much to me. Um, I'm looking at it through the lens of what can they do to finally make the Eastern Conference Finals and maybe give themselves a chance to make the Finals. I think making the Finals, um, obviously the end goal should be to win a title when you have a superstar as good as Joel, but making the Finals I think would be a successful um, accomplishment for this, or accomplishment, successful accomplishment feels redundant. I think it would be an accomplishment for for this group. Um the biggest needle, the biggest needle mover for me is Maxi. Um, I think if he's a legit shot creator to complement Joel inside and play off of him, lighten Joel's burden, um, that would be huge. I don't think he's ready to be that sort of player, but I do think, I do think he's a guy who could be their sixth, seventh best player um, next year, and that would be huge if he is one of their two best bench options, like in legit terms of impact, not just some of the flashes. Um, that he that would be a significant start. Stri- stri- that would be a significant step forward for him. Uh, here I am talking. I was talking to some friends yesterday that I thought I was getting better at the podcast, and now I'm stumbling through things. Anyhow, I think that's the biggest needle mover for them uh, is Maxi really being a legit rotation player. I'm talking high-end rotation guy, um, someone you view as a top 180, top 220 sort of player um, in the NBA. And I think it's possible. I, I really do. The strides he made last year, um, changing his shot profile, getting the line more, um, the comfort we saw from three and his two pull-up and his two Summer League games I thought was encouraging. Again, as I talked about on last week's podcasts, um, I think some of that is tied to having a longer rope uh, to play with and experiment with you know, new parts of his game. So curious to see how that translates to a regular season role. But uh, I think that's kind of the biggest way that the Sixers could actually take that leap into championship contention. I'm pretty skeptical it happens next year for Maxi. Um, I think you know it's a bit of a bummer for the Sixers' sake that either Maxi is a couple of years older or Joel's a couple of years younger. I think that would really kind of work well because he is the sort of guard that really does help them. A guy who can get downhill, create his own shot, hold his own defensively. Um, but I think the ways for him to take that leap are um, improving the pull-up three, as I said, um, continue to grow defensively, um, staying down versus shot fakes, knowing when to apply pressure on the ball really far out versus staying a little farther back and letting the the, uh, the offense come to you and then and then kind of pressuring them rather than you know pressuring right at, the, at half court. I know sometimes it's a coaching mandate, but um, you saw some of the, the issues there that presented Maxi defensively. So um, that's, I think that's the biggest way that they could improve um, if they don't make some Ben Simmons trade where they have a better, you know, shot creator um, on the perimeter. But I think Maxi could be that guy. I don't think it's going to happen next year, but I, but I am excited to see what Maxi does. Um, I don't expect, like, I, I think he could be the seventh best player on the team next year, maybe the sixth or seventh, and that would be a successful year for him. I don't think that gets the Sixers to where they'd like to go, but I think that would be a really good step for him in his development. Um, but the other ways they can get, could get better um, is obviously it's internal improvement, right? That's kind of the the, uh, the undercurrent of this question. Um, if they're not going to make a big deal, then 
or big trade, how do you get better? And that's, you know, internal development is always the, the answer there. Um, when you're a, you're a team like the Sixers who are, you know, not drafting particularly high. Um, and so it would be Tobias taking another step forward as a, as a creator. You saw some, you saw some passing improvement last year at times. Um, and then also getting better defensively. I thought he was a better help side defender on the interior in turn, with some cert- simple rotations. Um, you know, he was very good in the post against certain matchups you know, defensively. Um, but another step forward from Tobias. Tobias consistently has gotten better year by year. Didn't quite happen his first full year with the Sixers, but um, obviously happened between year 1.5 and year 2.5 in Philadelphia. So um, he's kind of right in his prime. You don't want to continue to bank on you know, significant improvements as a, as a guy is squarely in the prime, but um, that's kind of the path for them outside of Maxi. Um, Joel too, like Joel becoming an even better decision maker and, you know, and passer uh, offensively, I think would help. Uh, you know, he got better last year, you know, still had some issues, but I know he's talked at length about it kind of being a trust thing. And you saw in the playoffs, um, once Danny went down and Tobias was struggling and Ben was, you know, in a funk, uh, the only guy he largely trusted was, uh, was Seth Curry, rightfully so uh, to some degree. So, those are the, those are the ways I think they could improve um, next year outside of a Ben trade. I think it is a worthwhile discussion because it does you know kind of seem increasingly likely that you know Ben could be a Sixer um, you know come come October or late September. Um, but yeah, most of it hinges on Maxi. You don't want to put too much pressure on a second year player, but um, he's kind of that downhill slashing player they need. Um, the archetype is there. It's a matter of kind of you know coloring inside the lines and, you know, filling out the lines of, of that silhouette that we've seen, we saw last year and saw in summer league. So, um, nope, not pressure on Max necessarily. It's unfair to him to say that. Um, but he, he is a guy who I think a lot of how, how much better the Sixers could be outside of a Ben deal or a, a trade for, for Beal or, or Dame. Um, I think, I think a lot of it is, is tied to Maxi's growth. Um, but let, let's parlay that into another question. This comes from at Jack underscore Michael 17. Um, Jack says, I was, as we get further into the offseason, do you still take the field versus Sixers as a location where Ben starts the season? Um, so I, I think for a while I sided with the field. It just seemed like the situation was, was pretty untenable based on, I mean, based on, you know, the, the comments, you know, right after the season ended, um, based on so many reports, the Sixers are wanting to move Ben. Um, based on the report that Ben is not talking to the Sixers camp or the Sixers brass or anyone involved with the organization. And I can confirm that I've been told that as well. It's true. Um, I just think kind of the way this, this situation has unfolded in recent months. Uh, I, I, I thought that it, it seemed untenable and, and, it, and it still does, but like, I, I guess I'm kind of counter contradicting myself. I got, I got off track there. I apologize. Um, let me answer this. I, I I think he'll be, I think he will enter training camp, still a member of the Sixers. Um, I I think, you know, I think Maury is going to be very careful about not, not trying to trade Ben Simmons, um, when his value as a player is, is much lower than maybe it could be after, you know, a strong month to open the year. Um, you know, he's an excellent regular season player. If he can remind people of that, because there is this giant stench around him right now, um, that's just hard. Sorry, I don't want to use that language. There is sort of the, there is, it's still fresh in people's minds, this offensive struggles in that playoff series against the Hawks. Um, I apologize for that stench comment. I don't like my phrasing on that one. Um, but I think there's still, that's really kind of prevalent in people's minds. Uh, and so I, I think Daryl might want to try and, you know, have Ben, uh, you know, 
have have Ben play a little bit and show that he's still kind of this all-star caliber player to open the year. Um, and I think even for Ben, that's something he might be interested in. You know, uh, you know, he 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 probably want he wants to go somewhere where he there's a where the organization is conveying confidence and uh, commitment to him, and rightfully so. Um, I don't like some of the I don't like some of the way that things have been framed and played out um, in the recent in recent months in terms of how it how it affect how it might affect Ben or how it you know how it how it involves Ben. Obviously, Ben's lack of offensive growth is part of the re- is the major reason for his playoff struggles. But I don't think everything since then has been fair to him. Um, he still is a human, and, and all these things, and that's always important to remember with with these discussions. Um, and so if I'm saying anything that you, you view as a slight to him, you know, on a character basis or you just as a human, uh, feel free to call me out in any, any capacity. I want to make sure I'm always treating these players with the utmost respect on an individual basis. Um, but anyhow, uh, I'm kind of rambling a little bit there, but, um, so to answer Jack's question, I side more with him still being a member of the Sixers. Um, you know, when, when training camp rolls around. But it does flow well into another question. This one comes from at Simmons, please. Do you think there's any legitimacy to the reports that Ben might just not show up in training camp? Do you think he has enough leverage to just not show up and potentially demand the trade? Um, I do think, I, I don't know, I don't know exactly, I can't remember who has been reporting those sorts of things, so I can't say whether I, I feel confidence in that reporter's consistency um, with, with accuracy. Um, but the second part, do you think he has enough leverage to just not show up and potentially demand a trade? I really do. I think, you know, um, Clutch does a great job of helping its clients slash players exercise their agency as stars, and uh, I mean, right, rightfully so. Um, you know, players players have earned that. Um, that's how, that's what agents should do, or agencies should do. So I think it's absolutely. And Clutch is obviously one of the four most you know examples of that. Whether it's Anthony Davis, um, you know, whether it's LeBron, you know, just having such a large scope in the NBA with his reach, um, and then Ben, you know, is not those caliber of players, of course, but. Um, he, he's, he's, he has, he works for, he, he is, he, he's, I'm stumbling. He employs an agency that does really well to help his, his clients. Uh, and so I think it's absolutely possible that he holds out, uh, or doesn't show up because of the, because of just, there's no, there's been nothing to signal in recent weeks or months that the Sixers, um, are committed to him or that they believe in him. Uh, and so, and I understand it from the, from their end. Like, I mean, it's tough to believe in Ben as a, player beyond the first round but i think the way that's played out has been a little unfair how much of it has been you know public um i don't think is really fair to ben um again, i have not talked to ben i don't i haven't talked to anyone in his uh in his you know around him it just stuff you know but uh, i will i do know that you know i've heard secondhand that that it's it's true that he's not talking with with members of the sixers um i can confirm that so um, I think it's absolutely possible he doesn't show up, and I think he's well within his right because I think it's he's been you know treated a little unfairly in recent weeks. Even if the the, the Sixers are well within their right to want to trade him, but I don't like how it's played out. So I think that's a good question um, from at Simmons. Please, it also ties well into what Jack was asking. So, um, like I think it's possible. I think at the end of the day, I, I would bet on Ben being. I would bet on Ben being a Sixer um, when you know when they play their first preseason game. Um, I don't think he'll, I don't think he'll be here by the trade deadline. Um, I think he'll be, I think he'll kind of remind some teams about what makes him such an enticing player. Um, but I had by no means, so I think it's, uh, I don't think it's out of the realm possibility that he um, maybe holds out to, you know, just negotiate some sort of terms with the team. And, and I also think it would benefit him to, um, I think, or not would, I think it could benefit him to remind teams um, 
you know, why they should be committed and interested in him as, as a star level talent um, and, you know, playing a few regular season games or, you know, a couple of months or a, a couple of weeks um, could be an opportunity to do that. So I'm not advocating or trying to advise him one way or the other. It's his career and he should do whatever he feels comfortable with. But I wouldn't be surprised if that's how it plays out because of the reasons that I've listed here. So I appreciate those questions and I hope everything that I've uh, explained is coherent on that front. Um, again, give me just a minute to hydrate. Um, turns out you get pretty thirsty when you try and host a pod uh, solo. So give me, give me a second. We're going to hydrate again with my friends from uh, my 40 ounce uh, water bottle. This one is a little more, a uh, little less of a on-court question or basketball-related question as much of a kind of a, a fan experience question. I, I appreciate it. It comes from at, uh, I'm going to probably, I probably don't know how to pronounce these words, but it's at Fright Truite. Uh, it's F-R-I-T-E underscore T-R-U-I-T-E underscore. If you're listening to this, I hope I pronounce, pronounce it correctly. If I did not, feel free to DM me, email me, whatever you want to do. Happy to pronounce it correctly. But this is an interesting question. Um, I worry about the mental health of many of my fellow Sixers fans. Even the embrace of the process seems to be scarred by it. You seem to love basketball. Do you have any advice on how to help 76ers fans stop worrying and learn to love the Sixers? Um, so I can give it, it's like an advice column now. But uh, I do have to preface that I am not a Sixers fan. I don't have any real interest in their success beyond if they make it farther in the playoffs and they get to keep covering them, which is enjoyable. Um, as much as I enjoy some of the offseason, it can be harder to cover the team in the offseason when you try to do a pod three times a week. Um, but the way I try to view things in my experience in terms of like, you know, so I'm a San Francisco Giants fan. I've been fortunate to watch them win three World Series. Um, and in my experience, the it is less about the joy of the title itself that, that brings me happiness. It's about remembering that entire run. Um, and so in that vein, like, I think the way to appreciate the Sixers and try to fret less about everything in terms in the context of, are they a title contender? Are they going to make a deep run? All those things is, is to just, just enjoy every single awesome experience. Enjoy the Joel Embiid chase down block. Enjoy the step back threes. Enjoy the, the 40, 20 games. Um, enjoy the Tobias Harris, you know, clutch heroics in the regular season. Um, Matisse being Matisse. Um, maybe, Maybe if you're like of age, maybe take a maybe play a drink game every time Danny Green does his relocation three. Um, you take a shot or you take a sip of your beer or whatever you're drinking. Um, just try and enjoy the actual moments because I think a lot of and again every fan has their, a different way of viewing things. I don't want to say this is how you should view fandom, but I think for Sixers fans for so long they've viewed things of like you know this is where how we're going to win a title and things like that. That's I totally understand that your favorite team winning a title is an incredible experience. It's really fun, but I think. It can be hand-wringing to view every single occurrence through that lens of how, what, how does this affect our title odds. And so um, just try like try to just live in the moment. It's easier said than done. But um, just to, just for me, like if the Sixers, even if they were to win a title, I think a lot of fans, they'd enjoy that actual moment. They'd enjoy the championship parade. They'd enjoy watching Joel Embiid hoist a trophy um, and all those. They'd enjoy that part of it. But I think for me, when I reflect on, you know, what the, those Giants titles mean to me as a fan, I think about the the buildup to it. I think much less about watching Buster Posey hoist the World Series trophy or watching Pablo Sandoval hoist the World Series MVP trophy. Um, and I think about, I think of Madison Bumgarner, like having that awesome 2014 
run, you know, where he, where he was just dominant pitcher. I think about Travis Chikawa's home run against the Cardinals one year. I think about Pablo hitting all those home runs against the Tigers. I don't think as much about the end result. I enjoy those parts of it because I know that it led up to a title. And yeah, I associate those more positively because they contributed to a title. It's harder to be as positive about, you know, a lead up to something that ends in a second round out. But I think trying to just live in those moments can really help. Um, like I hope that offers some solace for you individually or any Sixers fans who are feeling similarly. I don't want to be like, I don't want to concern. I don't want to be like to feign concern over mental health. I don't know any sick. Like I'm not, that's not my, that's not my realm. It's not appropriate for me to do, but I think if you're looking for ways to maybe fret or, or, you know, pull your hair out about kind of the Sixers as a whole, it's just enjoy those moments. Enjoy the maxi flashes. Um, just everything you can. If Ben's still in town, I know like Ben is not maybe the most, uh, beloved sixer these days by certain people. Um, but still, we just marvel at his defensive versatility where he guards 14 different all-stars across a month, um, a month span. So that's kind of my my take on things. I hope it's insightful in some degree. I hope I wasn't patronizing um, or trying to say this is how you should view fandom. But I think if you if you do find yourself a little bit down about the Sixers moving forward because of your lack of confidence in their title odds, which I understand, um, just enjoying you know, the little things um, I think can really help because again, when I look back on you know, my most beloved sports teams, it's about the actual events leading up to an, an outcome rather than the outcome itself. So that's, that's my take. And you know, by no means am I telling someone to you know, live the same way, but that's my experience. And I appreciate that question. I do think it's an interesting one. So um, let's shift gears back to some you know, actual on-court stuff. Um, let's look here. Um, Matthew Zeitz asked, what is the actual reality of a Dame to the Sixers trade? Yeah, that's, that's tough. I, I Matthew, I, I love to talk in depth about this, but I don't have any real sourcing on it. I think if I had sources, I could, you know, talk a lot more about it, but this isn't something that I'm plugged in with whatsoever, really. Um, at the moment, at least maybe that changes down the line and I'll have some stuff to talk about, but I can't say one way or the other. Um, I really wish I could. I know Sixers fans want Dame on the on the Sixers, and I, I understand. I understand he's a tremendous player who fits who fits well with the team's franchise uh, superstar. So I get it, but I, I can't really answer that right now, um, unfortunately. But um, here's so let's shift gears to maybe non Beal or Dame uh, trades. Um, this comes from at Luke underscore Height Five. That's H I G H T Five. You're looking to follow them on Twitter. Um, they asked, is there any realistic package that you can get for Ben outside of Dame or Beal that makes the Sixers better? And I say, yeah, I, I think so. I, I do think they can get better um, because you like it's a delicate line. I've talked about the idea that, you know, Ben is a really, really good player in the regular season, even the first round. Um, he's been awesome in every first round he's played in. Obviously, some of that helps from the, the opponent quality being diminished with the Sixers always being a high seed when, when Ben has played. Um, you know, they've been the one, the three and the three, I believe during Ben's three playoff appearances. Um, but he is a significantly less impactful player beyond the first round. Uh, and so I don't think you need to get sort of the same regular season caliber player back. Yes, it would help, um, because you want to get a higher seed and avoid, you know, stingier playoff matchups in the first or second round. But, um, I think a couple that come to mind that have been rumored or reported, I don't know which, which exactly is a proper phrasing, but, um, and I've talked about both these teams as potential suitors uh, on previous podcasts. If you're looking for my most in-depth thoughts on them, just, you know, wherever you get your podcast, you can go scroll down to the feed and, um, both these teams and kind of potential packages will be involved somewhere. 
Um, but Indiana and San Antonio, I think, makes some sense. Um, for the Spurs, I think, you know, a deal centered around Derek White and Jonte Murray, plus, um, you know, a, a pick or a couple of picks. I think that makes some sense. Derek White um, is a very good defender, a really good secondary ball handler, good decision maker, can get to that elbow for his pull-ups. Um, DeJounte obviously is a growing offensive player, but a tremendous defensive player, um, covers so much ground without length. I think that makes some sense because – kind of the, the biggest thing that people talk about, you know, when they're hesitant to trade Ben is to talk about the defense. And my biggest counter is that if you have a Joel Embiid and you have Danny Green and you have Dan Berkeley in the defense and Matisse Thibel there, um, you're going to be pretty defensively. But I get, I get some of the concerns, but if you get Derek Najante back, um, those are two guys who are very good perimeter defenders as well. Uh, and Derek has more offensive utility with his pull-up for mid-range. Um, you know, I think he's a pretty good shooter as well, good decision maker. Dejounte, I worry about. Uh, more about in terms of, you know, giving him a lot of ball handling possessions. I think it's good for his growth. I don't think it's great for the Sixers win loss total in this hypothetical, but I like that deal. I think that could help them. Uh, I'm a really big Derek White fan. If people have read my work or just, you know, followed me on Twitter for a while, you know that I'm a proponent of him. And I think he, you know, if he stays healthy, he could have a really, really nice year with the Spurs this season. But I think that makes some sense for them. Um, again, because also if you get those picks, you could move them for, you know, other rotation players or, or role players, things like that. Um, but I like that deal a lot, mainly because I'm a big fan of Derek White. And I think, um, you know, he's a guy who can give you roughly average average starter production, uh, maybe even more if he kind of builds on what he did in the bubble um, a year ago when he was higher volume of three, more aggressive punching his shot, and was still quite good defensively, drawing a bunch of fouls too. He's a really good foul drawer, really physical, getting into the, the key, which is something that, you know, Ben doesn't do. So I like that deal somewhat. I've come around on it. Maybe it's because that, Maybe the perceived market for Ben Simmons is, is lower than I anticipated when I first talked about it. Um, the other one that I like, um, which I don't know if it's, is high with, I don't know if it's realistic, but I've talked about it previously as well with Tony East about two months ago. Go check out that podcast. It's Indiana, um, a Malcolm Brogdon, TJ Warren centric deal. I think is interesting to me. Um, Brogdon again, you get you retain some of that perimeter defense. Obviously not to Ben's caliber, but you still have a, a plus defender at the guard position there for you. Um, he's a better ball handler. He's a better half court passer really good decision maker as a passer, um, you know, can get his, can shoot some pull-ups. Um, and so I like that a lot. TJ Warren is just, um, he's a bucket, uh, he's just a certified bucket. Uh, I don't know I'm talking like that, but uh, apologize. Please make fun of me for it. Hold me accountable. Um, but he's a really good individual scorer. He's a good one-on-one defender. Um, not much of a passer, so that could maybe induce some headaches for fans, but also a very good cutter, especially on the baselines. Um, I think he was a big reason that Indiana struggled last year. Um, I think I talked about that with, with Mark Schindler on a podcast over at Premium Hoops. So if you want more in-depth thoughts on T.J. Warren from me, you can check that out on them. Check out Mark's work, check out Premium Hoops, of course. Uh, they do a bunch of good stuff over there. But those are a couple of deals that I think make some sense to me. Um, you, you get kind of the ball handling and defense with Brogdon and then an individual score to someone you can feed touches to. Um, there's obviously some overlap between Tobias and T.J. Warren, but um, the Sixers, need, like, they need more guys who can create buckets, create shots like Tobias and TJ Warren, I know it's not always the prettiest thing for Tobias, but um, he does feel a key role for them as a shot creator on the perimeter. And so I like those kind of those couple of packages a good deal. Um, San Antonio and Indiana. Um, I get the hesitancies because neither one, you know, like makes them significantly better. I think it makes them better. Again, it kind of goes back to, you know, if Maxi improves, but does it really kind of make them a title contender? I don't think so. Um, I don't think that either of these moves make them like way better i think it makes them better but i don't know if it kind of takes them to where they like to go and that's the issue here because like the i think part of the reason the sixers are hesitant to 
deal Ben and just get him in a situation where he's comfortable and, and get them in a, a place where they feel more confident in a key player, you know, maintaining value or not maintain value, maintaining high-level impact on the first round is because the, in the event of a Dame Lillard or Bradley Beal actually becoming available, um, you know, Ben is Ben is the guy who you know might might entice one of those teams. Um, you know, I think he's more he's more enticing to teams than you know T.J. Warren, who's you know on an expiring deal, Malcolm Brogdon, or you know Derek White or Jonte Murray. So I understand why this is a tough position for the front office to be in. And I think that's why you're not seeing these sorts of deals, you know, happen where they maybe lose some defense but gain a, a huge, um, they, they have a huge upgrade in terms of kind of ball handling, shot creation in the half court. So um, maybe not shot creation, but just ball handling, someone who can shoot off a dribble in, in some capacity, which Ben obviously is not comfortable doing at this juncture of his, juncture of his career. But um, those are my thoughts on all the questions here. Uh, I hope it's been insightful and I wasn't rambling too much. I appreciate everyone who listened today. Um, I'll be back uh, on Thursday with a pretty fun episode. Um, I don't know if I'll stream on, on Green Room, but I'll have, definitely have a podcast up. It'll be a fun one. I won't spoil the guest, but uh, but it'll be. I think you'll really enjoy it. Appreciate all the questions. Appreciate everyone for listening. Uh, in the meantime, stay happy, stay healthy, stay safe. I'll talk to all of you again soon.